Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Ted Canaris as we conclude the series, The Holy Spirit. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. George Owen Walton, born in 1907, lived the life of an estate appraiser. As such, he frequently had first dibs on rare coins, guns, jewelry, and books. And over the course of time, he had built up quite a collection. At age 38, Walton was given the rare opportunity to purchase one of only five 1913 Liberty Head nickels ever minted, and he jumped at the chance. He paid a whopping $3,750 at the time for this treasure, which is about $58,000 in today's money. And he told his family that one day it would be worth a fortune. 17 years after Walton's Liberty Head purchase, he tragically died in an automobile accident on his way to have his nickel appraised. Although Walton never made it, his Liberty Head nickel did, but a group of appraisers declared Walton's nickel a fake. They marked it of no value and returned it to the disappointed family where it lay tucked away in a strong box in the floor of a closet for many years. Eventually, Walton's nephew, Ryan Givens, inherited the nickel. And although the nickel had been dismissed as a counterfeit, something told him that his uncle was right, and so he hung on to it. And in 2003, the other four 1913 Liberty Head nickels went on display, and a million-dollar prize was offered to anyone who could produce the fifth. With high hopes, Givens submitted his coin for evaluation, and after hours of comparing and contrasting it against the other four nickels, six expert appraisers announced that Walton's coin was, in fact, genuine. And Givens held on to that nickel for another decade when he eventually sold it for $3.1 million, exactly 100 years after the coin was originally minted. Just imagine, just imagine a coin worth more than $3 million simply collecting dust in the back corner of a closet for decades because it seemed worthless, even to expert eyes. Now, despite its incredible value, it was overlooked and it was discarded. Now, maybe you're wondering what a 1913 Liberty Head nickel has to do with us and the Holy Spirit. Anybody wondering? Well, okay, here we go. Today is the final week in our four-week series focusing on the Holy Spirit. And just to recap, the Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third member of the Trinity. But for many of us, The Holy Spirit is also the most mysterious member of the Trinity because most people, even lifelong Christ followers, aren't quite sure what the Holy Spirit does or or how the Holy Spirit does whatever the Holy Spirit does. And if you've missed any of the weeks in this series, I really want to encourage you to take time this week to listen or to watch them on demand because so far we have covered a ton. We've covered how the Holy Spirit communicates with us how the Holy Spirit frees us, how the Holy Spirit equips us. And and today, we're going to be concluding with how the Holy Spirit empowers us, empowers us for what we are empowered for. And to answer these questions, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament of our Bibles. Mark is one of the four gospel writers, and his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, he shares one of my absolute favorite stories. Here's the context. 
Jesus is increasing in his popularity and he's receiving more and more intention for his remarkable teaching and his ability to heal the sick. So when he returns to his sort of adopted hometown of Capernaum, people are jamming into this house just for a chance to hear Jesus teach. And as the word of his arrival into town continues to spread, some men hear that Jesus has come, Jesus the miracle worker, and that he's right in their town. And so they decide that they want their friend, their friend who couldn't even walk, to have a chance to see him. Unfortunately, by the time they arrive, these four men discover that the house is completely full, completely overwhelmed with people, and there's literally no way for them to get in the doors, especially with their friend who they're carrying. But determined to help their friend, they muster their remaining strength, and they actually hoist their friend onto the roof of the house that Jesus was teaching in. And then they proceeded to actually dig a hole into the roof large enough to lower their friend through it to the feet of Jesus. And here's my favorite part of the story. Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, but the faith of their four friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, let me pause here for a moment to comment on the obvious reality here that might be easy to overlook. While sin is a fundamental problem and having it forgiven is is an unbelievable blessing, that's probably not really what the four friends were hoping for, was it? No. The four friends are obviously hoping that Jesus would heal their friend's paralytic condition, allowing him to walk again. In a few moments, Jesus does heal the man's physical body, but what's happening in this moment is really, really significant. Jesus is fully open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, he knows that even though this man's most obvious need was physical healing, his greatest need was spiritual healing. And so that's what Jesus gives him first. He gives him a spiritual healing. And this really shouldn't surprise us that Jesus first heals the man spiritually. You see, Jesus' primary calling was to the mission of helping people find their way back to God. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to carry out that very mission. So, when Jesus speaks the words, Son, your sins are forgiven, he is granting the man something even more valuable than the ability to walk. He's inviting the man to find his way back to God. And if you've been around community for any length of time, you know how passionate we are about being empowered for mission as well. In fact, our mission statement has been and will always be helping people find their way back to God. And that's not just some slogan we all memorize. It's really more like a a code that we live by. And perhaps the best way to illustrate the importance of this mission for us as a church is to show its impact in a really practical way. So here's what I want to do. If you're watching today because, like the paralytic man, you too have a friend or a group of friends who introduced you to Jesus, maybe even carried you on your mat to this church so that you could find your way back to God, would you just take a moment and type the word me, M-E, into the chat right now? 
Now, as I'm talking, as you see these names populate with the word me, each of these responses are examples of lives that were changed by someone who was empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission, just like Jesus. Jesus was empowered for the mission. And he was also empowered for miracles. If we go back to our story in Mark, after Jesus forgives the paralytic man of his sins, the religious elite who were gathered in the house were all angry and appalled. To them, what Jesus said was blasphemy, a crime punishable by death at the time. After all, only God himself could forgive sins. But look how Jesus responds here. Turning to them, Jesus says the following, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. (laughs) Check this out. Mark tells us that he got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This is an incredible story, right? One moment, this man couldn't walk, and the next, he's, he's picking up his mat, and he's walking home. I just love that story. But here's a shocking truth that I think we can easily dismiss if we're not careful. Please, please hear me on this. The same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to perform miracles is also available to you and to me in the here and the now. Let me repeat that because I know it can be really hard to believe sometimes. The same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to perform miracles is also available to you and to me in the here and the now. But like I said, Oftentimes, this is really, frankly, hard to believe. Even, even for me, your pastor, because this power is, is just way beyond what many of us have experienced in our everyday lives. And because we lack this experience, we're, we're often hesitant or even afraid to be open to God's empowerment. Or maybe you have experienced a bit of God's miraculous power in the past, but but you're more skeptical than ever because it was maybe a bad experience or, or turned out to be even a phony experience. We live in a world that resists anything that cannot be understood or explained. And, and although Jesus doesn't take time to explain it, he does take time to prove it. And he proves it when he tells the man to get up to take your mat, and to go home. And the power by which Jesus was able to heal this man was the power of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus was empowered for the mission and Jesus was empowered for miracles. And so here's the question I have for all of us today. Do we really know, do we really believe that the Spirit empowers us in the same way today? In John 16, verse 7, Jesus himself tells us to those who acknowledge him as their Lord and Savior that that because of his death and because of his resurrection, we can now receive the gift of the Advocate, the, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. God's Spirit with us forever and always. 
And carrying that empowering spirit changes everything for us today. Think of it this way. In the story we've been discussing today, the four men had to physically bring their friend to Jesus in order for him to encounter the Holy Spirit, right? But for us today, because we always carry the presence of God in us, we have the opportunity to bring Jesus and that same Holy Spirit power with us to our friends, wherever we go. The Holy Spirit inside of us is empowering us through God's power for the mission and for miracles. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to say that we, his followers, are not just going to continue this miraculous mission. He says that we're actually going to accelerate it and to expand it to even greater heights. The Apostle John was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And in his account of Jesus' life and teachings, John captures something Jesus said that, that really ought to pique even a skeptic's interest. Jesus says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, there is so much more to these 33 words than we have time for today. But let's quickly take a moment to clarify what Jesus is not saying, okay? Jesus is not saying that we will do greater things in the sense that we will sort of one-up his miracles with bigger miracles, right? This doesn't mean that if Jesus fed 5,000 people, we ought to feed 6,000 people, right? It also doesn't mean that if Jesus used three words to raise Lazarus from the grave, that we ought to be able to raise someone from the grave with two words. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. So if Jesus is not saying that, what is Jesus saying? Well, I think Jesus is saying that the works of his followers will be quantitatively greater. Jesus is saying that there will be much more of the same miraculous mission we see in his life because his work will be multiplied through all his followers. Jesus is saying that now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his followers, you, will be able to do all kinds of things that were, they were unable to do before. The Apostle Paul encourages all Christ followers to to lean into this mystery, this mystery between us and the Holy Spirit in a letter that he wrote to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus. Paul implored the church, and, and he implores us too, to not just believe or to know about the power of the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean exactly to be filled with the Spirit? Well, when Paul says that we're to be filled with the Spirit, I want you to picture a sailboat. Let me ask you this. When you're sailing, is being filled with the wind an experience or an intentional action or habit? It's both, right? Catching the wind on a sailboat is clearly an experience. And if you've ever sailed before, perhaps you can remember that first feeling of, of being seized by and carried forward by a mighty power from elsewhere. But it's also a habit. If you don't put up the sails, if you don't pull the main sheet fast or adjust the jib, whatever a jib is, you won't go anywhere. Even if the wind is blowing powerfully, 
You see, sailing in that sense is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. To sail, you must rely entirely on the external power of the wind to get anywhere. Sailors never imagine themselves to be powering the boat by their own strength, right? But they do have to respond attentively to whatever the wind is doing, which come through cultivating awareness and cultivating skill and good habits. Being filled with the Spirit involves that same both and. We need to pursue the experience of the Holy Spirit. We rely entirely on the Spirit's immeasurable power rather than on our own strength. And we need to do that in order to get anywhere in the mission and in the miraculous ministry of Jesus. It's God's promise and his presence that has power, not our best efforts. But we also need to develop habits. We need to respond attentively to what he is doing in and through us, a capacity that comes through awareness, skill, and intentional practices. When Paul tells us to be filled by the Spirit, he's saying that we need to continually be filled with the wind of the Spirit, actively responding to wherever it moves us. So that sailboat, I think, is a great picture of how the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. But I wonder, I wonder how many miraculous endings might we miss out on because we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're just like that sailboat. We were designed for a specific purpose that can only be actualized by our being filled by the Holy Spirit. A sailboat is not meant for the harbor. It's meant for the action and the adventure of the open seas. But the only way to get there and the only way to to thrive there is to continue to be filled with the wind of the Holy Spirit, actively responding to wherever it moves us. In the same way, we're not meant to merely warm a seat in a church once a week. We're meant for the action and the adventure of a life, attentively responding to the active filling of the Spirit as we race forward, empowered for mission and empowered for miracles. Now, if your life is anything like mine, you've got a lot going on. Lots of irons in the fire, lots of responsibilities on the home front, on the parent front, the job front, the relationship front. There's just a lot going on. And if we're not careful, we can end up having too many things, even good things in our life that keep us from the all-important God things, like being empowered for mission and being empowered for even miracles. So how do we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us? The challenge before each of us is to trust in the promises of Jesus and to put up our sails of faith in expectation for the wind of the Spirit to fill us and to carry us forward. Mark tells us that the paralytic's four friends were were filled with faith. And that is why Jesus could do what he did and do this incredible miracle. But faith is not something we could just buy on Amazon, right? And just have it delivered in two days. No, faith requires an intentionality on our part. So how do we do it? How do we raise the sails of faith? For starters, faith requires that we slow down and to make time for God. Slowing down is the first part of our challenge. 
I've shared this before, but I want to share it again with a little disclaimer. My best time with God is in the morning after my cup of coffee, because that's when I'm most alert and I'm ready to hear from God. Now, the disclaimer. I don't spend time with God every morning because I'm a pastor. I do it because I'm a Christ follower, a Christ follower who wants to be filled with the wind of the Spirit. And slowing down to pray is one of the most important and essential things that we can do as followers of Jesus. We slow down, and through prayer, we open our heart and our life to God in order to connect with Him, to hear from Him, to be directed by Him, to be shaped by Him. And after I pray, during my time with God, I I shift to an equally important practice, reading God's Word. In fact, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And if we ever hope to have our faith grow to the point where we'll drop whatever we're doing to carry a friend to Jesus so that he or she can be healed, then we need to be spending consistent time and intentional time reading and hearing God's Word. And so I wonder, are you making time to hear and to read the Word of God every day? I know many of you joined us at the start of the year by reading the Word of God when you subscribe to our community daily. But are you still making time for that? Is it still a part of your daily routine? So first, we need to slow down and to pray. Second, we need to make time. We need to make time to hear God's Word. And finally, although I can't say for sure how or when it will happen, But as you work towards building your faith by slowing down to pray and by spending more time in God's Word, you'll begin to hear the Holy Spirit call to you. And when that happens, it will be time to respond. Maybe courageously, like our four friends who who dug a hole in a rooftop to bring their friend to Jesus. Or maybe it'll be something more like what happened to our friend Robbie, who recently responded to the Holy Spirit. My name is Robbie. I've been coming to community almost five years. So we were in service, and what was suggested to do was to pray and to be quiet and see what if a name rose up in your heart. And a name did rise into my heart pretty quickly. This happened to be a friend of my mom, who I really don't communicate with very much. I don't have her phone number or anything. I was like, "Mm, God, can I get another role on this? Can I get a different name? So this really seemed like a little bit, a little bit of a push. I reached out to my mom, I got her phone number, sent a text message, gave her that message that I was prompted to deliver. And at first she just responded, thank you. And I'm like, yep, definitely, that one way, that one was weird. She texts back later on and told me, she goes, now after thinking about what you experienced, really touched me because I've always wanted to hear those words. That was the lesson that I needed to learn. That was the lesson I needed to to hear. And that was the the faith-building exercise for me to continue on my journey of being receptive and being silent and clearing out the clutter to be able to hear and feel those promptings. 
One of my um, small group members, or actually co-leader, Jill Maddox, had told me that she went to the same service where, you know, what name rises up in you and to deliver a message to them. Well, she's like, Robbie, I got a name that I have no clue of. She's like, I got the name Renee. I don't know a Renee. And in that time, I told her, I'm like, well, in Alpha, I have a Renee that's on my, on my team. And she's like, well, I have a message for Renee. And so I connected Jill with Renee. They didn't know each other, never heard of each other, never seen each other. At that time, Renee was not feeling close to God. And the message that Jill delivered kind of validated what Renee needed to hear in the sense of, is God still here? Is he around? Is he listening to me? Does he hear me? And in that time, it was the exact message that she needed to hear. I wasn't part of the message. I was just the bridge to these two to bring them together. And, you know, the Holy Spirit works magic in, in all groups, so. I just love those stories because it reminds me of how God, the Holy Spirit, empowered Jesus to do these great, huge miracles. And he also can empower us in the simple everyday opportunities that we have to be a voice of hope and healing in the lives of the people around us. Remember where we started today with that story about George Walton and his Liberty Nickel? Just imagine a coin worth more than $3 million simply collecting dust in the back corner of a closet for decades because it seemed worthless. Despite its real value and potential, it was overlooked and it was discarded. Community, church, let's not let that happen to us. Let's not overlook the potential of the Holy Spirit to empower us for mission and for miracles. Instead, let's, let's slow down. Let's pray. Let's make time to, to hear the word of God. And then, when the wind of the Holy Spirit begins to blow, let's respond. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you'd like to take a next step, head to communitychristian.info. If you'd like prayer, please text the word prayer to 331-226-1686 and a member of our prayer team will reach out to you. To give financially to community, head to givenow.cc. Thanks for listening to the Community Online Podcast.